Breaking the Silence, a conversation with Jessica Lauren Walton on mental health in the security community. Join Jessica Lauren Walton, a mental health advocate and Israeli security veteran, as she discusses her mental health journey and the unique challenges with the security sector. Learn about potential improvements, resilience, lessons for Gen Z in the post-COVID era, and Jessica's message for those silently battling mental health issues. Welcome to the Wellness Driven Life Show, where you're about to go on a wellness-driven ride. share with you a little bit about the guests we have here today. Jessica Lauren Walton, based in Washington, D.C., is a respected communication strategist and video producer specializing in the U.S. defense sector. She has authored numerous security and mental health articles and interviewed professionals from military leadership to filmmakers. With a master's degree in security intelligence, she is keenly interested in revealing human interest stories within the security field. I'm so excited and pleased to welcome Jessica. Hi, April. This is great. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Welcome to the Wellness Driven Life Show, Jessica. This is going to be a great conversation because you bring so many different lights and perspectives that we don't always get to hear. So I'm excited to jump in. Let's share with the audience a little bit more about you. Can you tell us who you are? Yes, but before I do, I I just have to say that um, when I accepted the interview, I was very excited. Um, and only after did I realize you were a police officer, which is so exciting for me because I've interviewed many police officers um, as part of my mental health advocacy work, but this is the first time a police officer is interviewing me. So um, obviously this hits close to home um, for you and I'm just very excited to be here. So um, before I talk about how I got involved in the mental health advocacy world, um, I'll tell you about how I got involved in the security field. So I grew up in Maryland and uh, in part of an Orthodox Jewish community. Um, and I was just always very enthralled by the world of security, just the heroism of it, the, the commitment to a higher cause. Um, so when I was um, in high school, I did an internship with the police forces. And soon after I immigrated to Israel as a teenager during the second intifada. So um, I initially was a criminology major, but <laughs> I failed out because my Hebrew wasn't so great. So I took a little detour and I wound up studying English literature. And it turned out to be a really valuable detour because it sharpened my abilities as a writer. It gave me an appreciation uh, for storytelling. Um, so when I was 19, I, I was invited um, into a direct PhD program. So I thought my future was like, it was set. I was going to be a professor. Um, I was going to be an mm -hmm. academic. Um, but during this time, I was hanging out with a bunch of Israeli uh, commandos, um, people who are also part of the security field. And um, I just got excited all over again about that world and, and their stories. And I was in Israel during a time where it was, it was hard to ignore the national security situation. I uh, immigrated during the Second Intifada. Uh, just a few years later, in 2005, there was um, the Israeli disengagement from the Gaza Strip. There was a war with Lebanon a year later. So um, unlike most Americans, who I don't think are really aware of war unless it's like front page in the news, um, in, in Israel, you're, you're always aware of it. It's at your, your front step. So um, I just got so much, um, let's call it informal education from hanging out with these military commandos um, that it, it really encouraged me to to go back into that world. Um, so I wound up going back to the U.S. 
um, doing my master's in security intelligence um, at a public and international affairs program. Um, and then following my studies, I returned to Israel where I served in the military and uh, continued to work in some, let's say, odd, oddball uh, security jobs while I'm pursuing my dream of working for Israeli intelligence. Um, so the mental health work, when did I start to get interested in that? Well, obviously, this is something that hits really close to home because when I was 19, at the same time that I was starting in this PhD program, um, I started to have the first symptoms of bipolar disorder, and I didn't know that I was mentally ill. I didn't know what bipolar disorder was. Um, I just started having the symptoms. And then um, for full disclosure, even though I was a good student, I was also a party animal. Um, so I, I was drinking. I was you know, smoking hashish. I was doing things that really exacerbated unknowingly having a mental illness to the point where by the time I was 20 years old, I, I was in temporary psychiatric care at Tel Shemir Hospital outside Tel Aviv. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so that was that was right, you know, part part of my um, journey. Um, and I was I've been on and off medication for years, um, and now I'm not on any medication. I'm happy to talk about that as well, you know, to talk about those steps. But it's it's very rare. I will say it's very rare. Um, yeah. And at the same time, one of the um, commandos that I was hanging out with somebody who I became very close to. His name was Roman. Um, he was an immigrant like me, but from Siberia. He came a little, he was a little older, uh, sorry, younger. He was, he was 13 when he first came um, to Israel. Um, so he was just a few years older than me. He became like an older brother. And um, he also had his aspirations in the security community. Um, unfortunately, he had bipolar disorder as well. Um, and he wound up committing suicide. I only found out that he had bipolar disorder um, after his death from his cousin. So we we hid it from each other. And um, mm -hmm. I realized, you know what, I don't want to hide anymore. I've thought about this for years. I've thought about the impact this could have, you know, on my career. But I came back to the US just a few years ago. So I'm no longer working in Israeli security. Now I work, um, you know, supporting American security interests. But I see, I, I mean, you can't ignore it. I see so many mental health issues in the security community that I felt an obligation to start speaking out and, and to start working together with others to, to find solutions. And that's, you know, very, obviously, this is a very personal passion for me. Yeah, well, that makes a lot of sense, Jessica, because, I mean, it did hit so close to home. It's fascinating that... Uh, not only you, but other people that were in the same field, and it had an even more profound effect on them, unfortunately. So it makes so much sense to me that now you're coming out and you're you're you want to talk about it. It needs to be talked about. I always say that stories are are some of the most profound ways that we can impact people because yeah. through those stories, people they they feel a sense of, understanding that they're they're heard and that they just can relate to it and they can say me too so they're they're so so powerful i love that you're sharing this thank you so much already for sharing so much you know very valuable and uh, vulnerable information with us so you know i also find it fascinating what i appreciate about you so much jessica is that you have this well-rounded perspective you not only uh, you know have you been a citizen of two different, very different cultures and countries, but you have a different viewpoint and perspective <clears throat> on all of those uh, platforms and areas. Because of that, you can show up in such a beautiful way and you have a relation that you can entail with so many different people. Thank you. So tell me a little bit more about the the time that you had during your your schooling, because I think that and correct me if I'm wrong, but this is really when things started to shine some light for you. You really began to discover that something wasn't quite right. And by the way, so <clears throat> many people, you know, turn to alcohol, drugs, substance yeah. in some sort of capacity when they have mental uh, health conditions or issues because that that is our our way of trying to naturalize or neutralize oh, whatever yeah. is going on with us so it's a very very common thing and i think that that is well worth stating here 
because I, I, I think that so many people turn to it and then they feel like something's wrong with them. And of course, yeah. it makes all of the issues 10 times worse. However, it's a very, very common thing to turn to. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And in addition to having bipolar disorder, I also had anxiety. Um, I wound up having a few years after, you know, the first symptoms of bipolar disorder, I wound up having panic attacks. I thought I was having a heart attack the first time I wound up in the hospital. And now this is also a story I've heard from so many people. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, education is key. If you don't know that you have a mental health condition, what are you going to do? You're, you're probably going to do things that make it worse. And then if you do know that you have it, but you don't take the time to educate yourself. And I'll admit in the beginning, I was just like a party animal teenager. I, I didn't really take the time to educate myself properly until things got like terrible. Um, yeah, absolutely. I was really anxious. So, you know, having a drink, you know, or five <laughs> and going clubbing at the end of the day um, really helped with my anxiety. But obviously mm -hmm. it was making everything else worse for me. So, yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, education and awareness is, is absolutely key. Jessica, what, what is the, the normal time period that people start seeing uh, symptoms of? Um, I know, you know, just a little bit about schizophrenia, schizophrenia and, and it typically starts showing signs mm -hmm. in those um, early adolescent years, as far as I know, <laughs> and I could be wrong on that too, but to your knowledge, do you know kind of the early onset, the yeah. signs and, and what are the signs? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so most commonly, bipolar disorder starts to show up in like late teens, early to mid 20s. It can show up in children, but that's that's less common. Um, and I do want to differentiate between two types of bipolar disorder. There is bipolar one and bipolar two. Bipolar one, um, that has more tendencies towards mania, right? So we're talking about mm. swings between depression and mania. Um, th there's actually, to a lesser degree, there's cyclothymia, and that's kind of rapid cycling back and forth with mood issues throughout the day, But and, and it can be extremely disruptive, but it is less um, disruptive than having full-blown bipolar disorder. So bipolar one, um, that is someone who has a tendency more towards manic episodes. That is considered the more severe version. That is what I had. My friend Roman was suffering from bipolar two, and it was almost like, from what I understood from the hospital records, it was it was almost like um, a hairline diagnosis because it wasn't clear if he, he had depression because it can really look like depression since it has more of a tendency towards that. Someone with bipolar two is less likely or when I, I can't say, you know, manic episode, they less not not inclined to have a full blown manic episode, but to have hypomanic episodes, which you know are manic episodes to a lesser degree, um, and usually um, occur for a shorter period of time. And so I think that made it very hard to diagnose my friend. Um, and he was also drinking a tremendous amount of alcohol. We were together, so it just kind of became a norm. But like looking back now, you know, myself, his his cousin, you know, friends can see that that was like a red flag. And so, yeah. yes, people with bipolar disorder are more likely to have issues with addiction, and that could be part of the self-medication thing that you mentioned. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's a pretty severe thing, and it also has a really high suicide rate. And uh, you know, that's why, again, I'm happy to speak out about this because the more awareness and education, the better. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that you're very, very passionate about that. And so just I'm curious, what are some of the unique aspects of being in the security realm that really pop up for people in the mental health aspect? Yeah, I mean, I, I like to assess it. This is my academic side coming back. I, I like to assess it as, as four. There are four buckets that I usually look at when when you know, trying to see what, what are the challenges and, and how can we pull solutions from those challenges. But I, the first thing I have to talk about before hitting those four buckets is um, the, the incredibly high suicide rate in, in the security community. And of course, this is, you know, not the same across the security community. Of course, not all jobs in the security community are like high intensity jobs, right? So I'm talking about military, law enforcement, you know, first responders, um, you know, even people who work in um, Coast Guards or, or Border Control private protection, right? Um, but I have to tell you, as somebody who works in the US defense sector now, I work with a lot of veterans. And I don't know a single veteran who doesn't have a personal connection to somebody who committed suicide in the military. Mm -hmm. it, it's atrocious. Um, but I, I think the, you know, I think the military has made improvements um, in their mental health offerings um, in the last decade. I think the first responder community, which also includes 
police officers, right, from the law enforcement world, I, I think they are being hit the hardest right now. Um, according to NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, um, in the last, I think, was it three years, 25% um, of police officers have contemplated suicide. That number is inaccurate. That, that is only the number of people who have said something. So the real <laughs> I was number is, say, I think that's yeah, just, yeah, the real number is higher, right? We're and that, that is, yeah. Yeah, I don't have to tell you, right? I'm preaching, preaching to the choir, but it's like, that is atrocious. I just want the average American to think about that for a moment. Imagine walking into your office every day and one out of four of your colleagues is contemplating suicide. That's messed up. Just two weeks ago in the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department, four people committed suicide in less than 24 hours. Oh, right. Wow. I mean, yeah. this is, this is awful. And it's not just awful for, the person who lost their life, it, it's, uh, there's a ripple effect across the families and the communities that are affected um, yeah. by this. And, you know, it's, it's, um, it, it's interesting because, you know, what, why didn't we know about this sooner? And I've asked police officers that I've interviewed and it's like, they said, well, data issues, right? Like collecting the data, you know, there were police officers who in the past, well-meaning officers who didn't want to report that a colleague committed suicide because then maybe the family wouldn't get certain benefits. They wouldn't get a proper respectful police burial. So people were not accurately reporting numbers. Nobody was really tracking it until, you know, um, more recently, I think it's like blue life or something. I can't, they, they've switched names, but there is a, an organization that tracks the numbers. And then there was social media and the news. We can't ignore it. You know, it's just it, everywhere. Um, so yeah, there, there are many reasons. So I, I got a little granular there focusing in on, on the police, but, um, yeah, I mean, these people, right, military, police, uh, border control, the people in these really high intensity jobs, they see things that we can't even imagine as regular civilians, the horror, like the worst of, of, of mankind, and they are a buffer, they work as a buffer in our communities, and we should be very grateful and want to help with the mental health situation it should be absolutely a, a social responsibility. Okay, so I mentioned there's like, four quadrants, right, that I look at, <laughs> I took a little detour to get, to get there. Okay, cool. So, so the first one, I, I, the first issue, I, I think, or the challenge that we have is, is the warrior culture, right? So we are expected to be tougher, healthier, you know, more self-reliant, more resilient um, than the average citizen, right? Um, it depends on the role, of course. But, you know, what happens when the helper needs help? So mm -hmm. now it's like, it's really hard. It could be really awkward um, to have to ask for help if that's like part of your identity is being the helper. But, you know, even the toughest superhero in the world needs help sometimes. So we have to normalize that. We have to normalize asking for help. So so that leads me to, to quadrant num number two. Well, I, um, I love that you yeah. brought that up, by the way. Yeah, I, have yeah, to, go ahead. I have to just sit on that for a minute because I think yeah. that's lovely that you bring that up. It's a, it's a, a really good perspective that, uh, you know, it's even difficult for the people in the situations to come to terms with that because you're so busy trying to be the hero continuously. And yeah. it goes back to, okay, this vast number of, of people are contemplating suicide, but can you imagine what that is, that mental health aspect is doing for them in yeah. performance of their job and how it, it affects them continuously. But it's like this cycle of um, you, you just keep pushing things back and down and in. And most of the time with those fields, you know, they, they only have each other to talk to. And yeah. it's very difficult to speak to other people outside of that because they don't understand it because you see the worst of the worst and you develop this kind of sick sense of humor because it's a way to cope with it. Yeah. And when you, when you talk to other people about that, they look at you sideways or they can't handle it. You know, it's not dinner conversations. Oh my God. I have so, colleagues who are veterans and they, they will like share things with like the darkest sense of humor. And they always like check because they're like, yeah, a lot of people don't dig that. But I'm like, listen, it makes sense. You, you gotta like, handle all this craziness somehow. And, and I handle a lot of things with humor. So I, I get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it just gives kind of a sense of what that's like to to continuously show up in the best of the best way that you can. And, 
And also you're supposed to know how to deal with that. It's like the stuff we're never taught in schools and you're not taught in the academies and through training. I, I think yeah. they're getting much, much better about that. And because mm -hmm. the awareness is beginning to show, but when I went through it, there wasn't there, there was one brief right. moment of a, an understanding that your emotions are going to be like this, because you go to extreme highs when you're responding lights and sirens, and then it's going to yeah. flip. And then you're way, way down where it's so boring and you have no calls or you go home mm. and the wife and the kids or the husband and, and all of the things where it's just this really low, low, uh, period. And, and so that's why so many go to substance abuse or yeah. they, you know, they do extreme sports or activities mm -hmm. because they're trying so hard to get back to those, those high levels. You know, it's so interesting that you bring that up because there have actually been issues with soldiers, um, especially male soldiers who come back from the combat zone and their testosterone is completely messed up. Mm -hmm. And it actually gets really low and that causes a lot of issues. Right. Yeah. And so they, some of them, ha, you know, take hormone therapy temporarily. Um, but yeah, we definitely, our bodies have a real reaction to, you know, getting that adrenaline rush and then coming back down. And if your baseline, you know, is up here, right. When most people it's down here, when you come back down to normal, it can feel like depression. And then you feel like, geez, I need like a drink or something to deal yeah. with this. It, that's an inter I mean, I'm glad you brought that up because aside from act like mental health issues, just going from highs to lows can, yeah. can feel like depression. Yeah. yeah. And I love that. You know, I'm very grateful that that was brought up during training because it did give me the awareness that, yeah. that this is what happens in this field. And, and you have to expect that. And because of that, be careful of the choices that you make when it does happen, because it will. So right. the awareness piece is was absolutely there. But what we didn't receive was how to manage those mm. like breathing techniques, or, you know, meditation, or journaling, or having yeah. a community that you can talk to. I mean, the list goes on and on of how you manage that. And there was nothing absolutely nothing they gave you no toolbox starting out no it's ridiculous toolbox. you get physical technical training but like no emotional training it's it's right. yeah it's ridiculous one of it's like at the top of the needs in that in those fields right because yeah. because you're you know you're dealing with the worst of the worst you get spit in the face and attacked and brutalized and they tell you everything they're going to do to your mother and your children and your your wife or your husband and yeah you can't control that and and you you get hit with it on a on a daily basis and so i don't know now you're getting me on a on a little page <laughs> here jessica because it is yeah it's a high need and so I, I love what you're doing and that you're advocating and being a voice for others. And, and, and it, it truly is coming to the top. And, and, you know, that's why I have this show now, because yeah. I feel that this is how we make a really great impact is by speaking it, by getting it out. We live in such a great day and age where we can push this information out worldwide. Right. And so through that, we can hit a lot of eyes and ears. And yeah. you know, in turn, they get to, to speak and share that knowledge with people around them as well. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting go to your happy place for a happy price go to your happy price price line yeah you know i first of all i'm very happy that as a, a police officer that you're you're jumping in and, and sharing your own experiences i was definitely hoping you would do that and you know we could go back and <laughs> forth and <laughs> um but i think what you just said about like sharing the stories and talking openly about this that leads me to to quadrant number 2 the the challenge right which is the stigma the stigma um, I, I have um, someone I can't go into too much detail about, about, about who he is, but he had um, a high level job in the military and the government. And at a certain point, considering what he had seen, he was 
starting to have issues with depression, anxiety. He spoke to um, a therapist and therapist said, you know, I can help you, but then it will be open um, at your workplace. It will have to be reported. And I can't, I can get you treatment, but I can't protect you from your colleagues looking down from you or your manager wanting to demote you. (laughs) Can you imagine? And he said, okay. He said, thank you. Goodbye. And he left and he left and good, good for him. You know, um, that, that should just not be the environment that we should be working in. And the more we speak out, um, the less of the stigma is going to be there. Um, but yeah, that's definitely the, the second quadrant, the stigma. The stigma is terrifying, right? Mm. Like what, you know, I was scared. I came out just like a year ago. I've been hiding this man, this mental health history of mine. I've been hiding it for years. So now I'm like coming out with it. And, and I was like, I don't know how people are going to react at work. People might not want to work with me, may say, oh, she's not reliable. She has issues. It's been the opposite. I, I just want to say um, it's been the opposite. Like so many people have, have contacted me and um, I, I now do um, internal mental health series at the company and, and videos interviewing people. So yeah, that just ver- speaks without mentioning my company by name speaks very well of them. Um, but yeah, the problem with this stigma is that when people don't speak up, then they're alone. And when you're, you're alone in your head, things just spiral, they get worse. And that's what leads to suicide. Suicide doesn't happen in a vacuum. It happens when people feel alone and they feel desperate. So we have to start normalizing talking about these issues, right? The third one, and I, and I put these both in one bucket, which is the security clearance and the weapons access issue. And I'll explain why. This is a very practical issue that has to be addressed. This is a very real concern that security professionals have when they want to speak up or or get treatment, right? Um, <clears throat> if you have your clearance taken away, if you have your weapon taken away, that is essentially the end of your career, unless you can somehow get it back. And if you're not guaranteed, you know, getting it back, you're going to be very afraid, you know, to speak up. And to be fair, because I'm looking at this from, from, from both sides, there might be cases where it's justified that you have your weapon taken away. This study was done, it, it was at least two decades ago, um, but the Israeli military was starting to see an uptick in, in their suicide rate, and they never had issues the same, to the same extent that the American militaries had. They started to see an uptick, and they did one thing. They, they stopped allowing soldiers to take their guns home over the weekend, and the suicide rate went down by 40%. What does that tell us? Mm. Okay, what does that tell us? That, that sometimes... Yeah. Suicide is actually an impulse decision that people regret. But if you've just, sorry for being graphic, if you've just shot yourself in the head, you, you, there's no going back. There's now, if, no you've going taken, back. If, if you've taken, if you've taken, yeah, if you've taken pills and it, you at least have the opportunity, you know, to call 911, yeah. okay? Um, yeah. But basically there, there are times where your weapon might be taken away and it might be the right thing, right? But if you wait, uh, you know, too long to ask for help, you're going to get worse to the point where you might not be able to be rehabilitated to the point that you you do have the opportunity to go back to your job. So that is a very complex issue, but we have to address that. And we have to address it in a way that's transparent, that people will know what is the risk, or maybe there isn't as much of a risk as they thought if they asked for help. And um, we have to be you know clear about that. And um, just, yeah. again, being transparent, you can't BS security professionals. The fourth thing is is lack of resources. And this is a huge problem for the military. You got a lot of people in the military who are like, we know what the problem is. We know how to fix it, but like, we don't have enough budget. <laughs> okay. And I can't tell you like how many, both, both like active service members and veterans complain about the long wait times to see a therapist. And guess what? If you're mm. feeling horrible and somebody says, okay, well, six weeks from now, I can get you to see a therapist. Um, I'm sorry, but <laughs> you know, in six weeks that that person might be dead. Because mm. it can't take it. Because living with with dep- severe depression, anxiety, P- PTSD for six weeks, right? But but that is also something that is being improved by the military. I did speak to somebody um, at a think tank recently that they are now. I don't know if it's everywhere, but there are certain areas where they are opening up access to do virtual appointments with therapists. So instead of having to worry about how many you know therapists or psychologists you have on a base or in a certain area, that opens up the pool. So that's brilliant. That's great that that they're doing yeah. that. So I'm not trying to put down anybody, right? Specifically, I mean, you can see also the improvements being made, but people need the money. They need the resources. And just going back, just to end on the the police aspect, I mean, again, it's ridiculous, right, that police officers starting out in their career are are not given some kind of of training to be psychologically resilient. And also just, you know, I, I can't tell you how many amazing police officers I've interviewed. They said when they had, a lot of them were driven to do mental health work. 
and advocate for mental health resources for their departments because they had a, an experience where they saw something that was so awful that it just totally threw them for a loop. And they said, maybe I'm not qualified to do this job. And they are amazing people. They're totally qualified to do their job. But if, if somebody had just told them that is a normal feeling, I think that's very powerful. When somebody just says, that's a normal feeling, that's okay. And you're allowed to talk about it. Some people might not want to be you know, sharing this stuff with a therapist, but at least set up peer support programs that are anonymous that somebody can speak to colleagues about it. Because again, just feeling alone, feeling like there's something wrong with you. And that is a total, totally normal reaction to an abnormal situation, right? Like yeah. we, you know, so that that's something also, that's the last thing I know I go, I go off on little tangents, but that's the last thing is that the resource thing is really important. And so, you know, the military, the police, I know I keep honing in on those two groups, but they have very limited budgets. So we need to advocate from the top down to make sure that there there is appropriate funding, you know, to support mental health resources. Well, I think uh, mm -hmm. first responder, military, police, uh, security are all in the same mm -hmm. wheelhouse. So I think that it's very fitting regardless. But all of that being yeah. said, Jessica, when we talk about not having the resources and and such, do you know, per your research, like what are some of the signs? Like it say you, you notice certain things that your coworker is saying, mentioning, yeah. acting, body language, those sort of things. What have you found, if any, are some signs that, that are, are, are triggers or coming up for somebody that might be going down a slippery slope and yeah. What are some of the things that you can do about that? What is the best way to either say yeah. something or, or go about being um, somebody for there? So somebody for them. Yeah, I mean, I think if you see people pulling away, you know, being very quiet, um, not really being happy or you know involved in their work the way they were, that could be you know a red flag. Um, somebody who is increasing drinking. Um, somebody who looks really just not right, like they're very tired, they're not sleeping well, and, and sleep problems absolutely exacerbate mental health issues. And and alcohol, by the way, exacerbates sleep issues. So there's another another good reason. Don't don't drink alcohol, okay? Um, but yeah, I mean, also um there are high divorce rates, right? Especially among the police. Um, so if somebody is suddenly having also a lot of issues with their relationships, that could be, you know, a red mm -hmm. flag. Um and yeah, I think you just have to reach out, just take somebody aside and, in you know, a private place, a safe place and be like, hey, you know, I don't want to get you in trouble or anything. But, you know, more than a colleague as your friend, as somebody who cares about you, like, what's up, man? You know, if you're having a hard time, there's probably a good reason for it. So let's talk about it. And that's just the first step is opening up your hand to somebody. That's the best you can do. Uh, I love that. Those are really great tips and to, to really recognize some of the things, those cues. So we're going to move into our first commercial. And when we get back, we're going to bring in some of the photos that you have because you have um, shared some of them with us. So we're going to go over those okay. when we come <laughs> back, which is going to be exciting. And uh, so stay tuned. We'll be right back. I want to let you know about my next group program, Health Kickstart and Detox. The best way to start diving into your health is to start looking at nutrition, the right way to eat for your body and understanding that as well as digestion because you are what you absorb and not just what you eat. So I teach how to ensure your digestive system is even turned on so that you can benefit from the food that you're putting into your body. So I combine all of this learning in a group program for support for you, along with setting you up for success. So click the show notes to learn more about the program. The link is there. I look forward to hearing from you. Hi, welcome back. So we have some of the photos, Jessica, I'm going to let you take it away and, and talk about these awesome photos. Oh my God. Okay. I didn't know I'd be talking about the photos. You know, I asked people, <laughs> I asked interviews for photos, especially if I'm doing like article pieces. And I feel like the men always give me like one or two blurry photos. And then the women give me like a pile of gorgeous photos. So, <laughs> oh my God. Okay. So that's me. It's like, it's either 2010, end of 2010 or 2011. Um, I am a security student. Um, I'm actually in the old city quarters of Jerusalem, Israel. 
Um, so I, I did mention that I came back to the U.S. to do my master's degree in, in uh, security intelligence uh, in Pittsburgh, but um, I actually returned to Israel as a visiting graduate student, the Hebrew University uh, Mount Scopus campus. They have a political violence and terrorism program. So I did finish my degree there. And uh, Jerusalem's a very special city. It, it's pretty awesome. Um, go be a tourist there. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> that's photo one. Okay, photo photo two. Um, yeah, so that's me um, in basic training, otherwise known as Tiranut. Um, I'm in Nitzanim, that's like right um, on the northern part of the Judean desert um, in the south of Israel. And uh, that would be, oh man, I'm, I'm really bad at dates. Uh, that would be 2013 <laughs> in the winter. So um, yeah, that, that was cool. That was my first time, uh, yeah, with my, my M16 and I, I lived with that M16. So. Wow. That's, that's <laughs> I amazing. showered, and I showered I with it, man. I couldn't wait to get rid of it, you know? <laughs> I just got to say, I'm so glad that you're here because, you know, on a, on a safety mindset, I look at this photo and I like, do not care where your, your partner's weapon is pointed uh, at this moment. <laughs> there, were, there were no bullets at the time. Yeah. I've had people say it like, dude, what is up with where you are pointing those guns? And I was like, you know what? That was right before we went to the shooting range. There were no, no rounds in there, but um, yeah, you're probably right. That probably was not great. And that was probably like my first week in basic training. So yeah, I was uh, yeah learning gun safety. <laughs> okay, so I'm out of basic training here, and uh, this is Jerusalem. I'm hanging out with the locals um, in uh, the Machana Yehuda Shuk. Um, I actually wound up living down the street from this Shuk, which is pretty awesome. And um, yeah, I mean, look, uh, there is a mandatory service, a national service in Israel. So not everybody, but most people do serve in the military at 18. Um, I was 28. I was 28 when I went in the military because I had done my master's um, already. So I was like uh, the grandmother of basic training. I was actually the second, but I was the second youngest in my unit. So I went from being, yeah, gran grandma to baby. Um, but yeah, it's a very normal thing to see soldiers and yeah, just walking around uh, Israel and hanging out with the locals. So no, I love that. I love this picture, <laughs> like quite a bit because it, it does show your involvement and you know with people and i think mm -hmm. that so much of the the servitude is that and and many have gotten away from that that really it is to be of service to the community to protect and to serve and so i think yeah. that's a really beautiful photograph oh thank you um so yeah this was after my um military service um i'd actually <laughs> A whole other story I won't go into too much detail about, but after my military service, I wound up doing um, private security work in uh, Transylvania. And I, I was, you know what? I was kind of lonely over there. I really missed Israel. Um, I missed my friends. So this was like probably a week or so after I got back from Transylvania. And um, I just got invited to like a random um, air show. <laughs> I think there's some, some pilots mm -hmm. who were graduating. So this is Hatserim, um Air Force Base um, in, in Southern Israel. Uh, and so I don't I, know what I'm wearing. I don't even want to talk about what I'm wearing. It might be like partly my pajamas <laughs> or something, but what, whatever. <laughs> I I think it's very fashionable with the boots and the helmet. It's very yeah. cute. Okay, so this is me back in DC. Um, so yeah, my my day job now when I'm not doing the mental health advocacy work, um, I am right a communication strategist, which includes being a video producer and. Um, yeah, I don't really have much formal training. I've I've learned um, basically what I know from video production on the job. But this was actually a rare time when my company sent me um, in DC to do a little bit of training. Um, so I did it at nighttime, like yeah, from like seven o'clock until uh, ten o'clock for for a bit. Uh, and I have young kids as well, so no sleep. But yeah, I had a good time and uh, just just love continuing to learn. I I like that too. You're so well rounded <laughs> with the things you do. And this is a very cute photo. I love this. Okay, for anybody who is scared looking at this photo, there is a very thick window behind me. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So this is actually really recent. This is just from a few months ago. Um, I was at the Writer's Digest um, annual conference pitching my, my memoir manuscript. Um, and it was pretty intense. But afterwards, I went... Um, this is the top of the uh, something summit building, Vanderbilt summit building. Uh, it's like the 97th floor or something. And I just had iced coffee and just, yeah, I just chilled. It was very, it was an intense three days. And then, you know, 
like we've discussed, it's important to have your downtime. Well, I, I, I'll just bring us into this real quick because what I like about this and appreciate is you are starting to go out. You, you disclosed a little bit that public speaking was a fear because actually it's a fear for the majority of human beings, by the way. And, but you have written this memoir and you are speaking about your experiences and really sharing that major vulnerability aspect of yourself through your story. And so mm -hmm. I just, I wanted to bring that up that, that this photograph, um, it just says, it speaks a lot to that because you, you are starting to share yourself and starting to go out there and doing all of the important things that, that need to be done. Yeah, look, uh, I'll be honest with you. I'm, I'm a really private person. I never imagined I'd be like, even speaking on a podcast. Um, but what happened with my my memoir manuscript is that um, I, I initially pitched about a little over a year ago, um, and, and I had two prestigious literary agencies uh, read it. They loved it, but they said, you know what? From a business perspective, we, we can't take a chance on you right now because uh, you're not out there, man. Like You also, as a writer, have to be able to sell your own work, which I wasn't aware of. It's been quite a learning mm -hmm. curve. Um, and I'm a published author. I am a published author, not in the commercial space, more in the academic space, but um, I didn't have to deal with the publishing process before. I was just commissioned to write books for people. So yeah, so I was just like, oh crap. Okay, and they said, you know, our recommendations, like you have to go out there, you have to make a name for yourself as a writer. And then, you know, we could take you a little more seriously. So my that's what I've been doing the last year. Uh, my manuscript is back in the lit agent um, review circuit. It's quite a long process, so you gotta you gotta be patient. You gotta be thick skinned. But um, yeah, so I realized like, okay, well, if it's gonna be out there anyways, this story, you might as well start talking about it now. And I and I'm not really comfortable just talking about myself. So I'd rather be talking about the bigger issue of of mental health advocacy work. And it's just been an amazing process. Um, you know, just learning so much from other people, joining forces with other people. And uh, yeah, I mean, I used to like vomit in graduate school before I did public speaking. So I know in April, April's like, I'm so glad we're doing this like with a camera between us. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, so I just realized like, hey, you know, this is a really powerful thing in life is getting over difficult things, right? And this yeah. is like a message for Gen Zers, like when something is scary or difficult, like embrace it baby don't run away because i ran away for I, I avoid as much public speaking stuff for as long as i could but basically these literary agents are like tough luck kid go out there and speak <laughs> so i really love that you bring that up because <laughs> i didn't even know that jessica i think that that is is a is a very great point that you bring up that hey you can you can write, but if you if you want it to be well known and you want you want to you know either sell it or or share and spread the yeah. message, you have to get out there and you have to speak on it and you have to you know physically be involved in that process. So I think that's really great, and I love that you bring up that uh, you have to do the things that scare you. There's there's so many conversations that I have with guests here yeah. on this platform that have something to do with that. It's been coming up quite often, actually, is hmm. the fact that <clears throat> stepping into the things that scare you really, let's just say it this way, is our, our way of our soul growing and hmm. the way that we expand and you know, stepping into those fear points. Yeah. Oh, man. And that's such an important message for Gen Z right now. Yeah. Embrace the fear. <laughs> Embrace the fear. Safely. Yeah, safely. safely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. We have uh, one more photo, which is super cool. So I'm going to bring this in. Ah, okay. Yeah. So so that's really recent. That's like from a little over a month ago. Um, so there is a retired colonel um, from the U.S. military. She works in my company. And because I came out with my story, right? Um, she said, hey, um, I just want to introduce myself. I, I run um, an annual mental health symposium called Hero's Journey. Um, we bring together its um, leaders from you know, different um, areas to talk about mental health. It's a focus for the security field, but also on solutions for the larger um, you know, American community. Um, so in that picture, there um, are journalists, uh, psychologists, uh, some some who work, uh, two of them who work in the Veteran Affairs Office, 
Um, there is somebody who is a, a veteran himself. Um, and we had members of Congress at the event. So I, I helped, I volunteered um, to help organize this event and uh, work on the white paper afterwards that we will bring to Capitol Hill to help educate people on innovative mental health uh, solutions. So yeah, so this has been, um, I'll say it again, a consequence of me speaking out about my story is that other people who have their own stories, um, who are fighting the same fight are now inviting me to to join that fight. And it, it was a real honor. This is uh, in, in uh, DC, just a few blocks away from the Capitol. So yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's fun to see that, that photo. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I can, you know, you are such a, a bright, shining light, such a beautiful woman, Jessica. And so I love how you shine in this photo. And I can definitely tell, you know, the, the gentleman in the, the brown coat, he, he must be uh, somebody who's military or law enforcement, because I see that stain. Oh, that is so clear to me. Okay, that's, that's really funny. I did not I would not know that. Um, his name is Bart. Dr. Bart Buchner. He is a vet, as, as you pointed out. Um, he also does really interesting um, work in psychology at the Adler Institute. And I'm going to be interviewing him on my blog in a few weeks. So uh, yeah, I really hit it off right. with him. He's, he's really special. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing those photos, Jessica. You you mentioned a little bit about your your own mental health journey and mm -hmm. um, that you are not currently taking medications. Which bravo! If you're yes. managing that well, that is that's beautiful. Yes, I ideal, took notes on that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the ideal state, right? This is what we want is to be able to not be uh, uh, codependent towards anything, you know, but, but there is a time and a place, of course, when you you need that in order yes. to really get you on the right path and the right track. Um, but tell me, Jessica, what are some of the things what what are the, the things that you do on a daily basis to really maintain your your wellness? Yeah, absolutely. I was like taking out my notes because I was like, I don't want to forget. I don't want to leave anything out. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so this is interesting. Yeah. I, um, so it's about 2012, 2013. Um, it was actually not my choice to get off my medication. I was taking several different things, including lithium and lithium. It's like, it's kind of humorous. It's like this very simple salt compound that solves a lot of problems, um, you know, for bipolar disorder, but at the same time, it can be really harsh on your kidney or livers. That's why you do blood tests. Anyhow, um, I, I had to get off my medication and I was freaking out. And, and I was like trying to get into the military at the time. I'm like, oh my, and, and I was hiding it. And I know that's a totally controversial issue. I totally acknowledge that. I've been criticized um, for hiding a mental health issue from the Israeli security community. And like my response to that is like, you're right. I get it. But if you think that's the only stupid thing I did in my 20s, um, you're going to be disappointed. <laughs> I did a lot of stupid things. Um, so, yeah, I, I had to, to find alternatives that were not medication based because I had been on a million medications um, and lithium really kind of anchored the, those meds for me. So I'm like, oh, my God, if I can't take the lithium, like, what do I do? So I, I had a friend um, at the time. Um, it's actually my memoir. He um, had he was suffering with OCD and depression um and he had hit it from military intelligence so he, he was helping me out and he was also doing a degree in psychology and so he was the one who kind of came up with this plan um with and now with a little more research later um we, we know that this was a really good plan so the first thing and this is like the most obvious thing is like stop drinking alcohol don't do drugs just just stop just just throw it away okay so that yeah. that was that was really big <laughs> that was number one um, i'm shaking my head in agreement with you here because yes <laughs> And and like obviously like I'm putting aside I'm putting aside the illegal stuff like weed, which I, I hadn't been smoking that for for years, years, because like, yeah, I mean going into the security field, but but drinking is, right. is you know legal. So throw that out. Done. Okay. Number two, sleep. Um, I was a party animal. I was not getting normal sleep. And then it was also like I had issues with insomnia. You have to be getting good sleep. I'm a bit of a hypocrite because now I have young children, full, full-time job, mental health advocacy work. I probably don't get quite, quite enough sleep, but I've been able to taper things down a bit. In the beginning, I was very extreme with all the things I did, right? Um, so another thing is, is eating, right? I definitely want to talk about, about diet here. Um, I, and this is something I was very strict about in the beginning. And now like I can be a little more you know, flexible, um, cut out sugar and carbs. 
like processed sugars, you know, mm. even, even sugars, like keep it low, keep it low. Um, okay. We got to, we got to pause on this one and talk yeah. about it a little bit. Why? Yeah. Why? Yeah. Oh man. The mechanics of it. Yeah. I listened to a neuroscientist talk about this. Um, oh my God. Yeah. I don't know. It, it really messes you up. It, it messes. First of all, sugar shoots you high, right? takes you low, but, but there's so many other things like, I'm just trying to remember all the chemistry behind it. There's so many other things that happen and carbs are like, right. A, a form of sugar. Um, that just are not good for your brain. They're just not. And and yeah. some people are going to be more sensitive than others. Um, so when my friend was making these recommendations, and this also included like upping, upping the dose of omega-3 fatty acids, and, and they have a lot of supplements. I actually still take a supplement, um, but it's it's best to get things from food, naturally, salmon, walnuts, avocado. I eat like an entire avocado every day. Um, yeah. yeah, like tons of this stuff. So I just like like dosed myself hardcore with anything omega-3 fatty acid. Um, and so my friend was like just finding preliminary research about this at the time. But now, like it wasn't until I think um, like maybe like 2016 at the NIH and then like 2017 at the American Psychological Association that real research came out like yeah. confirming. science to back it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So um, so that was definitely the right move. The other thing was getting um, daily morning sunlight um to help the circadian rhythm issue because again i had sleep issues so the sleep issues were causing problems all like they're all like cycling around so i had to take care of the sleep issue and and the sunlight issue is very helpful there are a lot of reasons for that that have to do with your cortisol levels when you wake up that's just a good way for anyone to start the day um and exercise exercise huge and i feel the difference like if i can't i go to the gym usually four times a week i don't do anything crazy hardcore but i do cardio i do a lot of weight training um and I didn't do that, you know, in the beginning because I'm I'm naturally really skinny. I hope no women hate me for saying that. Don't hate me. I'm I'm really skinny, so I didn't think that I needed exercise. So I was, but I was totally out of shape. So you can be skinny and completely out of shape. So it wasn't healthy. And as my friend was rightly pointing out, he's like, if you're about to go to the military, he's like, you you better start getting into shape. And I was like, oh. <laughs> so, but that's huge. And I feel the difference. If I am not sticking to this exercise routine, I feel it. So just do it, you know, just, just exercise, make it part of your routine. Um, yeah. And then the last thing is just like learning to control stress because stress makes you anxious and anxiety doesn't help with bipolar disorder. And then it doesn't help with sleep. And it's just, just screws you over a million times. So you have to deal with that. You have to like find that inner resilience. Um, no, there's not like a one size fits all solution. Everybody's different, but like something that's been helpful for me is having a more flexible mindset, being very accepting about things I can control versus what I can't control. And yoga, I do like a deep meditative yoga at the same gym, um, at least once a week. So, I mean, I feel like everything I'm saying, honestly, is just stuff that everyone should be doing. But if you have a mental health issue, your system is more vulnerable. So you have to go the extra mile. Yeah. But yeah, I made sure I, I wrote it down. It. I wanted to cover each one of those points. <laughs> well, and bravo, because I agree with you 100% on every single one of them. And yeah, some people are more sensitive to others, whether it's it's mental health, or like me, it's a it's a disease. It's a those physical aspects, yeah. too, which also in turn can affect your mental capacity. And yeah. so it, yeah, all of those things are key. You're right. Everybody really should be doing all of those things to really take care of themselves. But again, some people are much more sensitive than others. I like to call my disease my superpower because my body uh, tells me pretty quickly what it doesn't like. And um, so, yeah, I, I, I think yeah. all of those points are really, really pertinent. And you know, it's it can be challenging for certain uh, health advocates to be able to to kind of you know, acronym that out or, or say all of the things or be able to communicate certain things clearly. And that's why I like to say wellness is under this massive umbrella. And that yes, yes. so many different guests on the show because there's so many different facets, but the ones that you mentioned are, are truly just like essential, right? We, we yeah. don't perform well without sleep period. We have to have sleep in order to to be, you, you know, our best selves truly, and and then of course our diet because everything that we consume, everything that goes in on and around our body, oh yeah, really makes a huge difference. Sunlight moving our bodies. I say when you stop moving, you die. 
because it's true. Yeah. <laughs> it, you just, you do, your body doesn't want to, you know, keep doing anything good if you don't keep it moving and active and keeping the blood flowing and the heart pumping properly. I mean, you're not going to die right away. It may take years and years, but you will if you don't yeah. move. And, and so all of these things are really essential things. And of course, alcohol, everybody knows it's poison. So yeah, you're, you're poisoning your, your body when, when you do, yeah, it feels good momentarily, yeah. but then the, the, is it really worth it when the side effects are, are so much worse? Yeah. I mean, everybody's different, you know, like my husband, you know, has a, no, let's say normal mental health composure, whatever you want to call it. You know, he could have a beer with his friends. He could have a little shot of scotch and he's totally fine. That's him. Now, if I do that, if I have a single beer or a little thing of scotch, I, I'm not, I don't have alcoholism in my family, even though I did suffer from addictive tendencies, you know, in my, my early twenties. But I will say that if I have a drink, like he has a drink, I am depressed for hours afterwards. I'm so depressed. I can barely talk to people. That's not yeah. normal. Right. No, so, yeah. you know, even though I, I've really like amazingly, right, been able to keep this mood disorder situation under control without medication, which again is so rare. And I know there are other people out there like that, but it is a minority. Um, I, I don't want to take it for granted. I don't want to play around with it. I have too much to lose. So, yeah. <laughs> and, and also yeah. the food thing, the food thing is, is terrible in America. I mean, I'm not saying I'm perfect. My husband would be yelling at me in the back. I know I saw you eat all those Reese's cups last week. Yeah, I'm not perfect, but I'm like, I'm I'm 90% there, man. I, I I eat really healthy and and I try to eat as little processed food as possible. And that is a huge problem in America. I bet if you just like yeah. cut out all the processed food, a lot of mental health issues would probably go down too. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. I also agree with you 100% on that. So wonderful, Jessica. It's been awesome. I want to make sure that yeah. everyone knows where to find you. Yeah. Oh, no. So th this is my website. Um, yeah, it's basically, uh, I guess you could call it a portfolio. Um, anything you want to know about me as a writer, but the most important part is, is the blog, really. Um, that is where I have interviews, both articles and videos um, with professionals from, you know, looking at mental health um, and psychology from, from all different areas. Um, I've interviewed military leadership, CIA officers, law enforcement, uh, psychologists, even filmmakers and, and journalists. Um, so that is where you can check out those interviews. I also include excerpts uh, from the memoir with like little lessons learned um, with a focus on, on Gen Zers. And um, yeah, it's also the best way to contact me if you're interested in being in touch. I love that. Thank you for giving me a moment. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Talking for April. So thank you so much, Jessica. You've been such a pleasure to have on the Wellness Driven Life Show. Is there anything else that you want to share with our audience today? Yeah, you know, I, I want to, to leave um, one final message. Um, and this is really speaking to security professionals who might be hiding a mental health issue right now. Maybe mm -hmm. you're watching this. I just want to say that your life is more important than your career, period. If you need to ask for help, I know that's scary, but please ask for help. Because at the end of the day, if your life is over, you have one life, but you could have many careers. And I guarantee if you are as talented as you are to get as far as you've gone in the security field, there are many other things you could do with your talents in this world. There are many cause-driven organizations that need your help. So. Obviously, I am not speaking down to anyone from a pedestal. I am somebody who has walked the walk. I know what it's like to be hiding a mental health issue from the security field. I've lost a friend to suicide, and he was so brilliant. I just want to just end on that. I want to say my friend Roman was so brilliant that, I mean, he could have been doing unbelievable things with his life if he was still alive today. So that message that I'm sharing with you, if I could bring him back, I would be sharing that message with him. I would be begging him. Um, so I just want to end on that note. Just you know, there, there is a light um, at the end of that darkness and you just have to take one step out of it. So please do. Oh, Jessica, that's a beautiful message. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you again for being a guest on the Wellness Driven Life Show. It has been truly an honor to have you, to share your story and your wisdom and all of the cool tips and tricks that you've given to the audience. And thank you audience for being here. The show wouldn't be possible without you. So thank you so much for tuning in. Goodbye for thank now. Thank you. And we will see you later.